Welcome to the Pink Drip Podcast. I am your host, Evelyn Sparks. I am a trauma-informed sex, pleasure, and emotion coach, and I work with non-men people to feel liberated in their authentic self-expression. My aim for this podcast is to share my stories and experiences, share the stories and experiences of others, educate and enlighten and step away from the shaming sexual spiritual community and into a place of knowledge and true empowerment. So if that sounds like something you'd like to embark on, I invite you to get a cup of coffee, roll a sickie, lay back in bed, and listen in. Today is such an exciting episode of The Pink Drip because we have our very first guest on the show. We have Lindsay Sarah On, who is a womb cycle guide who is here to help you tap into the wisdom and power you hold within your womb to heal yourself. Her period pain called her home to her body and catalyzed her to go on the wildest and most beautiful healing journey she has ever been on. The fertility awareness method became her foundation for deep listening, and she learned to embody all the phases of her menstrual cycle by attuning to the ancient wisdom of the moon and the earth. With her master's in social work, as well as certifications in fertility awareness, vaginal steaming, and trauma-informed yoga, she is here to share the magic of the menstrual cycle with you. And I was lucky enough to actually get to have one-on-one coaching with Lindsay last year under her private mentorship, and it changed my entire life. And since then, I have been dying to be able to have a public conversation with her. And today we are going to be talking all about fertility awareness method. And you'll learn more about what that is throughout this podcast episode. Um, But we just dive into your hormones, what using fertility awareness method as birth control as a way to explore any health problems you may be having, common misconceptions, ways in which fertility awareness method can be dangerous or ineffective, how you can begin your fertility awareness method journey, and so much more. Uh, You may hear Lindsay's beautiful cityscape background as we recorded this podcast episode um, outside, and it is so soothing to hear the birds chirping. Um, And I just think that this episode is so beautiful, so informative, and I am so excited for you to tune in and listen. Okay. Hello, everybody. So today on the podcast, we have Lindsay. And Lindsay, I am so, so excited to have you here and to have this conversation. I think that it is so important and going to be so valuable. And so it's just an honor to have you in this space and to get to bask in all of your knowledge. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so excited to be here and to just like be able to be a guest on your podcast and talk about fertility awareness. I can't wait to share more about it. Yeah. So I'd love to hear just kind of your general journey with fertility awareness method. Like where did it begin? How has it evolved? Just tell me all of the details. So I, the way I started with fertility awareness was like 
I actually came to fertility awareness um, for different reasons than a lot of people come to it. So I feel like a lot of people come to fertility awareness when they want to get off of hormonal birth control or they no longer want to use the IUD, but they want another more natural option. Yeah. And they hear of fertility awareness and they come to it, they find it, they're like, yes, I finally found something, right? So I find that that is, or it might not be that, it might be someone's trying to conceive and they want to be able to, you know, predict, they want to be able to um, understand when their best chances of conceiving are. Because with fertility awareness, we can understand when we're fertile and when we're not. So knowing that we can avoid pregnancy or understand the most optimal time for conception. Mm -hmm. But the reason that I came to fertility awareness is actually uh, more of the health side of things. So fertility awareness is not only about, you know, understanding your fertile window and using it as birth control or helping you conceive. It's also about understanding what is happening with your health and hormones Mm. on a really deep level. So understanding like every day, what is actually happening with your levels of estrogen, your levels of progesterone. That like being, I love that idea of like being able to communicate with healthcare providers. Cause I feel like that's so common. It's like something is wrong, but I don't know what language to put to it. Exactly. So basically it transformed, like I went from, being able to say things like, oh, you know, I have painful periods or I get headaches sometimes, or, you know, sometimes I feel very hungry or I have breast pain or whatever. Whereas after fertility, after learning the fertility awareness method, I could say things like, I get headaches on specifically these cycle days, like leading up to ovulation, or, um, you know, I... I get breast pain in my luteal phase, like after, you know, the week before menstruation, or I, I get ovulation cramps. My gosh, that yeah. was something I had no idea. Like I knew I was getting these, these pains sometimes. And I was always like, this is weird. Like, is this, are these gas cramps? Like, I don't really mm-hmm. know what's happening right now, but not really thinking anything of it. Then as soon as I started to chart my cycle with fertility awareness and understand like when I was actually ovulating, the cramps always happened right around that time. And I was like, I'm having ovulation cramps. Yeah. Like huge epiphany. Okay. So I just had like all of this information that I was able to bring to my healthcare providers, whether it's like a medical doctor, or if I'm working with a naturopath or an herbalist or an acupuncturist, nutritionist, whoever it may be. Now I have so much rich cycle data to be able to bring them to really explain what's happening because, you know, they can only do so much from the information that we give them. So if we give them very minimal information, there's a lot of guesswork that has to happen, but if we can, you know, really explain in detail what we're experiencing and when it gives them so much more information to be able to go off of, to really inform our care that we receive. Mm. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like it's just so, so yeah, it's amazing. Like that's why Mm. I came to fertility awareness because of the health stuff. I wanted to understand like, 
what is going on with my painful periods and like what's happening with my hormones and am I ovulating? I didn't even understand the importance of ovulation until I started learning about fertility awareness, but it just opened up this whole new space for me. And the one really cool thing that I love about fertility awareness, that's like not necessarily why I came to it, but just a huge benefit was like having really painful periods. I mean, my periods, like I most likely have endometriosis. Like I don't have a formal surgical diagnosis, but yeah. you know, informal diagnosis of that. So my periods can be extremely, extremely debilitating. Like makes they might make me nauseous, like shivering, shaking, um, moaning, like writhing in pain on the couch, can't get up, can't walk, can't move, hard to even make it to the bathroom if I have to pee. Like it it's, can be really, really intense. So being able to predict when my period's going to come is yeah. a really important um, tool for me, like just navigating, navigating this pain. So once the thing about the menstrual cycle is like, once you ovulate and you chart a few cycles, you start to understand the length of your luteal phase, which is from after ovulation up until menstruation. And typically our luteal phase is the same amount of days or mm -hmm. something, you know, give or take a day. Okay. So once you ovulate and you're able to confirm that through, you know, multiple different ways, but once you ovulate, then you can say, okay, when is my period coming? I'm going to count those amount of days and I'll know when my period's going to arrive approximately. And then I can make sure I don't schedule anything for those days. I clear mm -hmm. out my schedule if anything's that, like is unnecessary. Like if it can happen at another time, then it's going to happen at another time. Like yeah. I, <laughs> I will reschedule. Um, I'll make sure that I plan ahead and like cook my food ahead of time. So I don't have to cook while I'm bleeding. So even just that tool of like being able to predict when I'm bleeding is huge and can be so huge for people who have like painful or heavy periods. That was something that I really valued from our time together was like, I don't have, I'm thankful and grateful to not have that debilitating level of pain, but there are so many times and events in your life where like, you don't want to be in this kind of depleted state. Like you don't want to be in that like restorative, like needing to rest place. Like when I got my most recent tattoo, that was a time where I used fertility awareness method because I was like, I'm not going to get this tattoo when I'm bleeding. I'm going to get it when I'm in my follicular phase. And so I could <laughs> <Yes>. like chart <laughs> and plan that. And so it can affect like everything in your life. It's so useful, no matter what kind of period you're having. Seriously, it is so useful because, you know, I, I know I just touched upon like predicting menstruation, but like, if you understand what phase of your cycle you're in at all times, like you can, because, because each of our phases has such a different energy to it, you can then understand like how to actually sync other aspects of your life to your mm -hmm. menstrual cycle to help you just flow through life with so much more ease. Like that's brilliant to get your tattoo in your <laughs> follicular phase <laughs> instead um, of your menstruation. So yeah. yeah. What do you feel like are some of the like misconceptions about fertility awareness method? Because I know people 
like I hear people throwing around the terms like non-hormonal birth control. And I think a lot of people jump to really different ideas when that phrase is brought up, whether that's like the pullout method or like tracking your temperature or just like being in tune or whatever it may be. But what do you feel like are, yeah, some misconceptions about fertility awareness? So the thing about fertility awareness is that there are a lot of different methods of fertility awareness um, or fertility awareness-based methods. Sometimes you might see it as like FABMs, fertility awareness-based methods. There are so many different methods and some are extremely accurate and others are not at all. Okay. So, and are very outdated. So what I see, so here's the thing, like when I say fertility awareness, I'm of course talking about the accurate one. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Right. So these are this, uh, the symptothermal method in particular. So there's, you know, symptothermal methods, symptohormonal methods, and I'll go into what these, each of these are. So a symptothermal method is when you are tracking your, your, you know, symptoms, like nobody can see me doing quotes in the air, but that's what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. <laughs> symptoms like cervical mucus and bleeding and, um, you know, things like that. And then your, but the thermal part of it is basal body temperature. So you're tracking your waking body temperature every morning, which is a measure of your resting metabolism. The symptothermal method of fertility awareness um, is 99.4% uh, effective with typical use and 99.6% effective with perfect use. And there was a study that was done on it. So what I see, and you know, there's so, okay, that's the symptothermal method. Then there's also symptohormonal method, which is actually what I learned um, but I, I choose to teach the symptothermal method just because I know I, I include temperature because I've been using it myself for a while and have really worked with other educators to understand and be able to incorporate it yeah. in my teaching. And I find it valuable. But there's also the symptohormonal method where you are, again, tracking your cervical mucus, your symptoms, and then you're tracking um, your hormones. So you might include something like LH testing. LH testing is... Um, urine testing. So you just, you, you know, you pee in a cup, you use a urine test strip and LH is a hormone that is released 24 to 36 hours prior to ovulation. So once you get that positive LH test, you know that you will likely ovulate in 24 to 36 hours. So that gives you like another marker of being able to understand when you're ovulating, like in place of temperature. I personally like to use all three because like the more, the better, honestly, mm-hmm. like the more clarity you can get, the more biomarkers you can include, the, the better you're going to be, the better off you're going to be. So I use all of them. Then there's methods like the rhythm method, for example, or the calendar method where, where it's just completely inaccurate. And basically what you're doing is you're looking at past cycle data to predict your future patterns. And, you know, you're saying like, oh, in the past, um, I ovulated approximately on these days. So now in future cycles, I'm probably going to ovulate on those days. Mm -hmm. So you're predicting your future fertility, but that's just inaccurate because every cycle is so different that you might ovulate at different times each cycle. So there's so much that can delay 
ovulation, like stress or travel or illness, anything like that. There's, there's so much. So ovulation, you know, it's not always going to happen at the same time. So we can't use past cycle data to predict what's going to happen in the future mm-hmm. because we, that's, that's predicting your fertility. Like you don't want to predict your fertility. If you're trying to avoid pregnancy, you want to actually know day by day when you're fertile yeah. and when you're not. There are some other methods that are like, okay, you ovulate on day 14 and, and that's what everybody has when it's like, no, okay, we can't, Mm -hmm. we can't make generalizations about when ovulation is going to occur. That's like the main thing. So in methods like that, those are extremely inaccurate. Okay. So what I see a lot is as I'm researching, I'm like, how, you know, what is the efficacy rate of fertility awareness. And I know that the symptothermal method is 99.4% effective with with typical use. But then if I Google it, if I'm Googling, like, how effective is the fertility awareness method? It will be like, so low, like the percentage is so low. And, and it's, it's just, you can't group all the fertility awareness methods together in one. Because the, for example, like, the rhythm method is so ineffective that if you average that with the other types of fertility awareness methods that are, it's going to really pull down that effectiveness rate unnecessarily, right? Because they're yeah. different. They're completely different methods. Okay, they're both fertility awareness-based methods, but they're completely different methods. So they have um, completely different efficacy rates. So that's the kind of thing where I feel like when people start to Google and they start to look around and they start to see like, oh, it doesn't seem like fertility awareness is that effective. Well, mm-hmm. okay. Um, what like method of fertility awareness are you looking into? Yeah. You no. Know? And, and is it all the fertility awareness methods combined? And that's the statistic. Or are you looking at one particular type of fertility awareness method? Hmm. Yeah, I've heard so many people saying things along the lines of like, because I've, I've been using this for a while and I've brought it up to people and they'll be like, well, my mom used the rhythm method and she got pregnant or whatever it is. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is like, you know, the whatever method you're using, whether it's symptothermal, symptohormonal, whatever it may be that has higher efficacy rates, it's not the rhythm method. Like that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing. Like it is not the rhythm method. I think that's the biggest misconception. And even like when you're talking to your healthcare providers and stuff, like there's a chance that they might think you're using the rhythm method. Yeah. Right. And you're like, no, I'm not using the rhythm method. Like I'm using symptohormonal or symptothermal. Like, you know, so the, the difference is like the rhythm method is using past cycle data to predict future cycle patterns. Whereas when you're using a like symptothermal or symptohormonal method, you are looking at real time data. What is happening day by day in your cycle? Are today, are you fertile or are you not tomorrow? Are you fertile? Are you not right? Like we're not, um, we're not predicting the future. We're actually going by what our body is telling us every single day. And the other thing I want to mention is like natural cycles and Daisy. So those are temperature only methods. So basically they can only tell you when you already have ovulated, right? Based on when your temperature rises. So they, but they cannot predict 
future fertility, right? Whereas sometimes there could be a setting on those apps where it's like, you know, predicting your future fertility and saying like, oh, today is a green day, today is a red day, whatever it is. Like, that's not accurate because you can't predict what's happening in the future ever, especially when you're only using temperature. Like, you can't, you know, you just can't. Um, So, and with those methods, with, with temperature only, you are lacking a huge piece of body literacy, which is learning how to read and understand your cervical mucus. And that's what's really going to give you that real-time data of what's happening day by day. Body temperature can say, are you before ovulation or are you after it? Whereas cervical mucus can actually tell you day by day where you are at. So if we're talking then about tracking using, you know, the not using an app, using our symptoms, using cervical mucus, then when you say like you can't predict the future at all, does that mean then that using the method you are having to check like, I guess like if you're using it as a birth control, can it be predictive at all? Or do you have to just take it like morning by morning what your fertility might be that day? So basically what you are doing is you, so it, it also depends on where you're at in your cycle. So if you are prior to ovulation, you need to be way more careful because you are waiting for the onset of fertility. So you're going to be observing all day, every day and seeing like, when, when is my cervical mucus coming? Like when did my cervical mucus setting on? And you really want to be, you know, diligently tracking and observing every time you use the bathroom when you wipe. Um, That's why like for pre-ovulation, at least in the method that I teach, the only evenings are available for unprotected PIV sex because you need to be observing all day because gravity, like basically you might wake up in the morning and see no cervical mucus, but in the afternoon, you might see some. So it's not like, you know, you can go off of just one observation. The gravity of, and motion of the day of you walking around is going to bring cervical mucus down if it's there. So that's why it's important to wait till the evening. Whereas after ovulation, um, once ovulation is confirmed, like, you know, through many ways, through temperature, through cervical mucus changes, maybe LH testing, whatever you're incorporating, then like you're free to go anytime. Like there's mm-hmm. no egg there. If there's no egg, it's not going to be fertilized. So you're free to go. So, you know, basically prior to ovulation, we're waiting for that onset of mucus. The only thing that we can do, we, we can never predict the exact date that ovulation is going to happen. Even after the fact, when we look at our charts, we can't say like, I definitely ovulated on this day. We can only get an approximation of ovulation. So with that, um, you know, the best we can do is understand when ovulation may be approaching due to changes in cervical mucus or a positive LH test. That's like the best we can get as far as predicting when anything may start to happen. That was something really interesting that I learned working with you. That was like a misconception for me was like, I thought that the safest sex that you could have not on hormonal birth control with like PMV was 
at the end of your period because it's like you know you're you're you know we always hear like okay you can't get pregnant on your period some people don't like having penetrative period sex when they have like a heavy or their first couple of day flow so I thought like okay on the last like teetering out days of my bleed that's when I'm the safest to have penetrative sex but then learning like that's so not the time I was just like damn (laughs) yeah (laughs) Right. Like that, you know, that could be like a common misconception, like, or, oh, during my period, I'll be fine. Like I'm not fertile during my period. Whereas, I mean, maybe, right. Maybe you'll be fine, but maybe not. Because (laughs) the thing is like with menstruation, it's really hard to tell if cervical mucus is present with bleeding. Right. So it can be really hard to like get an accurate, um, cervical mucus observation, right? Because there's, there's blood there. Like, it's really hard to tell. So there's a chance that there could be cervical mucus mixed in with blood. And if there is, then sperm can live in cervical mucus for up to five days. Now, if you ovulate earlier, like early in your cycle or earlier than you usually do within that five days after, then you, you could get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there has to, there needs to be like extra care taken during menstruation, um, especially, you know, during the end of menstruation and the days after menstruation to see when, you know, especially after menstruation, when there's no blood there and you can really accurately see cervical mucus and observe, you know, your sensation, wiping sensation, like you want to be able to understand when that cervical mucus is setting in. And let's talk a little bit about like what cervical mucus actually is and like what you mean by wiping sensation. Totally, totally. So cervical mucus. So, okay. The cervix, it's produced in the cervix. The cervix is at the base of the uterus. So for example, like if you are getting a pap, like that is what they are swabbing. They're swabbing Mm -hmm. your cervix. It looks like a little pink donut. So basically like if, you know, it sits at the ba- at the top of your vaginal canal, but at the base of your womb. So your cervix has these little um, glands in them, in it called cervical crypts. They kind of actually look like roots. They're just like little rooted cavities, like mm-hmm. in the cervix and cervical mucus is created there. Now, cervical mucus is a hydrogel and it can certain types of cervical mucus, I'm not going to say all cervical mucus, but certain types of cervical mucus can support sperm survival for up to five days. Mm -hmm. So it basically, it creates an environment like sperm wouldn't, basically sperm wouldn't be able to survive in our bodies without the presence of cervical mucus. Okay. So There's a few different types of cervical mucus. Um, Some of them, and I know there's, I often hear this, like all cervical mucus is fertile. And like to an extent, I mean, you know, yes, but there's also cervical mucus that is not fertile um, where it's actually just like a mucus plug in the cervix. And that's, that's what's happening like after 
ovulation. So, okay, let me start here actually. So prior to ovulation, the cervical mucus is fertile. Okay, prior to ovulation, cervical mucus is fertile if you're seeing specific types. Um, and I don't necessarily wanna go into like what it looks like or all that because I, it can just be really confusing if we're not yeah. going like really deep into it. But certain types are fertile and then certain types are not. So it's really important to be able to um, distinguish when you are observing fertile cervical mucus and when it's not fertile, when the mucus is actually a, creating a plug in your cervix. So basically at that point, you might not even be seeing mucus because it's pretty much just like plugging off your cervix. Whereas other types of mucus, is you're, you actually might be able to see it like on the yeah. toilet paper when you wipe. So um, basically when you are observing cervical mucus, you want to wipe. And then as you're wiping, you would tune into the sensation. Sensation is actually like one of the most important things. So I think a lot of people are just like, oh, I didn't really see anything. So, you know, it must not be, I must not have any cervical mucus there right now. And I must be infertile, right? Where yeah. it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, yeah. let's tune into wiping sensation too, because there are plenty of times when, you know, you might not see anything, but the sensation when you wipe is going to tell you that you are fertile, mm -hmm. even if you're not actually seeing something specifically on the toilet paper. So basically we're tuning into wiping sensation number one. And then after you feel that sensation of the toilet paper moving over your perineum, the space of tissue between your vulva and anus, that's the perineum. Um, you're also going to want to then look at the toilet paper. So you mm -hmm. feel, and then you look and you say like, Oh, what is here? Like, can I see anything? If I can, can I pick it up? What does it feel like? Can I stretch it? How much, what color is it? What consistency and all of that is going to give you information about your fertility, like your fertility. And how is cervical mucus like the same or different than what we know to be discharge? Mm, really good question. Yeah. So with um, discharge, I find, so my personal view of discharge is like, it sounds like it's something that, um, that it's just like not supposed to be there. Like, yeah. oh, this is just being discharged. <laughs> like the body yeah. doesn't want it, you know? Um, and it also is not specific. Like discharge could be, you know, cervical mucus. It could be vaginal cell slough, just like this natural sloughing of cells. Maybe it's arousal fluid. Maybe it is a sign of infection. Like it can be so many things. So if we're just mm -hmm. saying discharge, it's like, well, what are you, what are we actually saying? You know, like, let's get specific about what we're saying and what we're seeing because discharge covers so many things. And like, you know, in the medical community, like discharge is a term that's often used, but I, I like to get more specific about it and be like, well, was it cervical mucus? Like, was it cell sloth? Was it arousal fluid? Like, let's actually explore what it was because we need to know that information if we're going to understand whether or not you were fertile that day. 
the medical community has really blessed us with some beautiful names for <laughs> what our vaginas produce. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, not to say like, this is the, the, you know, the term that this is what it actually means. But like, for me, when I think of discharge, I'm like, well, that's probably like an infection. Like that's mm-hmm. something like my body is just like getting rid of. It doesn't want, like, I don't even use the term discharge anymore. It's like, yeah, it's cervical mucus, you know, and cervical mucus is healthy. Like we want to have it. It means, you know, it, well, in, at the right times in our cycle, right. It means that it, it could be a sign of health and, um, that our hormones are reaching adequate levels. Like, and even if it's not exactly a sign of health, like even if it's like, oh, well, that was a, a, I just saw a specific type of cervical mucus for a really long time. And that's like Mm -hmm. a sign of imbalance. Like at least it's telling you something about your health. Yeah. It's giving you like, uh, just like your pulse, just like your heart rate, just like any of of these other markers in your body, it's giving you information about your health. Whereas, so, I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, it's beautiful. It's fertile nectar. We want to understand it. Like it's so dynamic. It can tell us so much. I'm wondering how, cause I know working with you, I learned so much about fertility awareness that was just like so different than anything I had learned. And it made me grateful that I hadn't tried to use it as my only form of birth control with a partner before, because what I had assumed was fertility awareness was super inaccurate tracking, right? Like just using an app, basically using the rhythm method. And so I'm wondering like what tips you might have for people who are listening at home who may not have access to like a private mentor for learning this. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, and I know like we were able to work one-on-one together, but there's also ways that you could like, you know, so working one-on-one obviously gives you like the most amount of support, but if there are ways where you could like join a group, Mm -hmm. like there are even like, you know, places that have like fertility awareness method meetups, you know, pre-COVID, but like, (laughs) (laughs) but like fertility awareness method meetups and community circles where you can like just meet with a group and, and learn and practice um, there might be online group programs that you could join or even like pre-recorded courses that you could get access to, uh, that might be more accessible. The other thing is like you could, um, work on self, like on teaching yourself, um, through, you know, a lot of study through reading a lot of books, maybe diving really deep into taking charge of your fertility. But the thing with that is that it's while it can be done, right? Mm-hmm. While it can be done, it can, it can just be, it's a lot safer, I would say, if you're using it for birth control to work with an educator in some capacity. Yeah. So the, the statistics that I gave before of like 99.4% effective or 99.6% effective, um, those, those were from people who worked with an instructor. So people who self-teach, it may not be as effective. Um, Doesn't mean it can't be done, but you know, if you, let's say if you're, you just want to track to learn more about your cycle and your health, 
like go ahead and self-teach. Of course, you might learn, you know, different things with an instructor, but if you're not planning to use it as birth control, like go for it and self-teach and at least like start there. If you want to go deeper, you can go deeper. Um, if you're trying to conceive, then of course, again, it can definitely help to work with an instructor, but you know, it's not like you're trying to avoid pregnancy. That's like right. the biggest thing. It's like, if you're trying to avoid pregnancy, then I would really encourage you to work with an instructor in some capacity. It doesn't have to be one-on-one. -on -one. But, you know, if you're trying to conceive, then you can also attempt to self-teach. And, you know, if, if it's not working out for you, then, you know, go ahead and work with an instructor. So the other thing, I'm, the other thing about working with an instructor is it, it just like speeds up the learning process too. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're sitting there like I, you know, most clients who come to me are like, okay, I read the books, I did all of it <laughs> and I'm still confused. Like yeah. I still don't know what's happening with my cervical mucus and like, I just need help, right? And that's a point where it's like, okay, you tried to do it, but now you know you need more support. So let's take the next step. So I, you know, I find like working with an instructor helps to speed up the learning process and get you to that point of clarity and confidence much faster. So you would just need to assess for yourself, like, where are you at? What do you want to use fertility awareness for? Mm -hmm. And like, do you need to, do you need to get clarity and confidence like right now? you know, as yeah. soon as possible? Or can you just take your time and explore it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think that that's so, so powerful to have that clarity on what you're using it for. Because if you are trying to prevent pregnancy, like that's, you know, that's a big goal. That's not something that there's like much leeway with. Right. Um, and so yeah, I think it's so important to like, note how to use the system correctly, how to learn to use it correctly and where like self-teaching may fall short. Cause I know if I was self-teaching, like I remember sending you so many photos of my cervical mucus, mm -hmm. like, because I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. if you're trying to learn on your own and prevent pregnancy, like, you know, there's a lot of different aspects of it that you know, you need to learn about. And so it's good to use it in conjunction with another preventative method, like condoms. Right. right, exactly. But the thing is as well is like using it, let's say you're using it with a condom, then like basically on the days that you're using the condom, then you're not using fertility awareness to prevent pregnancy. You're using a condom and a condom actually, and this always like blows my mind. I felt like I had to check the statistic over and over and over again, but like on the CDC website, um, the efficacy rate of a condom with typical use is 87%. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like 87%, like, I mean, that that's not that great, you yeah. know? So like you can use fertility awareness to understand like when there would be, you know, more of a risk of a pregnancy, and then just, you know, avoid PIV sex altogether on those days. But then you could also know the days where there's like, maybe, you know, a little bit less of a risk, it's all about like assessing risk, 
You know, mm -hmm. like what risks are you willing to take or do you want to like follow all the rules by the book, you know? Right. Um, and everyone's going to be different with that. And so, you know, when, when you're using a condom, then you are relying on the efficacy rate of the condom. You're not relying on the efficacy rate of fertility awareness anymore. So you don't, I mean, but can we say that like, if you're using a condom on days where you're like, I think I ovulated, like my cervical mucus indicated I ovulated and like, I think I'm in the clear, then would you say that those two percentages of efficacy are building on each other? Mm, I don't really know because I'm like, I don't know. I've never, you know, come across any studies or anything that's like, right. these are the efficacy rates when you use it together. But like, just thinking about it, I mean, would it really build upon it? Because if you're, if you're past ovulation, you're not fertile anyways, then like, you know, a condom, a condom, you know, it can make you feel safer, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't really know that it would be building upon the efficacy rate. But basically, like, you know, if you, if you're used to using condoms and like you, you want to start using a fertility awareness method, then, you know, until you are confident in, mm -hmm. in your observations and, and in the method itself, using condoms can be a great way to transition. And then to also just like let fertility awareness inform your condom usage too. Yeah. So even understanding like, am I super, super fertile today? Like, do I even want to, to use a condom or do I want to just abstain completely? Yeah. I wish that there was like, I just think we need to like get to a place where there's some non-hormonal methods that are like easy, really effective because <laughs> fertility awareness is so effective, but it is hard. Like it's hard work because it's just, you know, you have to be so aware of so many different like yeah. moving parts and condoms are so easy, but they're like right. not the most effective. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, like with fertility awareness, here's the thing. It's like, there's, there's a learning curve in the beginning. It's like yeah. learning anything. It, it's a bit harder in the beginning to learn it, to understand all the rules, to learn about your body. But then once you have all that information, it just becomes like second nature. Yeah. It's like you, you're just, you're in the habit of observing your cervical mucus all day. You understand what you're seeing, what you're feeling, you know, you're taking a couple of minutes to take your temperature in the morning. You're taking a couple of minutes at night to jot down your cervical mucus observations. Like after you get going, it's not super time consuming and it really does become just like a natural part of your day. But there definitely is that learning curve. The other thing with that is like when you're taking that time to learn, the information is so valuable like it's yeah. just information that we always should have had anyways you know mm -hmm. but it's like information about your body that is just gonna help you become so much more informed and empowered in in every way regarding your fertility and your health yeah so like yes. while it is you know difficult in some ways to learn and it takes time you totally can learn it, first of all. I think there's a lot of sometimes doubt around like, 
oh, well, the menstrual cycle is like so unpredictable that you could never learn. Like, no, you can definitely learn. And it like for sure, I have faith in every person like (laughs) to to be able to um, learn, you know, if they have the means to and the accessibility um, that you can learn. But it's, um, you know, it just like takes time. And let me ask you this question because some listeners might be wondering, can you use fertility awareness method if you are already on a hormonal birth control? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you are, here's the thing is like, I would say no. Here's the thing. Like, it depends on what you're on. So for example, if you're on the combined oral contraceptive pill, um, then no, because you're not having a menstrual cycle. Ovulation is suppressed and um, there's, nothing, there's nothing to track. Like yeah. if you don't have a menstrual cycle, you can't track a menstrual cycle. So that would be no. Um, if you're using like a progestin only method, whether that's an IUD or the pill, Ovulation is very unpredictable with that. The ovulation may be suppressed or you might still be ovulating. You would still have the protection of like using that pillar device as your form of birth control, but um, it could just be interesting to use a fertility awareness method to actually see if you're ovulating. Yeah. And when it's happening. And is it happening every cycle? Is it only happening some cycles? Um, just if you're like curious about that, right? Then if you're using the, let's say you're using like a copper IUD and it's a non-hormonal method, like you wouldn't need to use fertility awareness as your birth control, but if you still wanted to understand like your cycle health and if you're ovulating and when you're ovulating and how the IUD might be impacting ovulation, your hormones, then you can track to just understand a bit more about your health. Okay, cool. That is such valuable information because I think a lot of people when they're on things like the pill, because they might bleed during their like blank week, they think that that's a period and they're having a cycle. So yeah, I think that's such good clarity around that. And I'm wondering for those listening, how can people work with you? Oh yeah, so totally. So you can find me on Instagram at flowwithyourflow and send me a DM. I'd love to chat more with you and answer any questions that you have. And I have a program called Rewilding Your Womb, which basically it helps you learn the language of your menstrual cycle and deeply understand your body. So it's a 12 week group program. The first part of the program is about learning the fertility awareness method. So you'll learn how to have confidence and clarity when you're charting and understand when you are transitioning from each phase in your menstrual cycle. So you always know like where you're at in your cycle. And then the second part of the program is menstrual cycle embodiment. So understanding like, okay, now that you know what phase of your cycle you're in, let's actually see how that phase impacts you physically, emotionally, and energetically, and how you can really honor your cyclical rhythms and flow through life by um, syncing your life to the phases of your cycle. So 
that's then, you know, so first we use fertility awareness as a foundation and then we build upon it and go into cycle embodiment. And yeah, it's fun. I, it's a, it's a fun program. I'm really enjoying teaching it. This uh, I'm actually, so my first round is happening now, even though rewilding your womb existed in other ways prior to this, but this is the first time it includes fertility awareness. And my next round is in July and I'm already starting to enroll people for the July round. So if anyone wants to get in on that, (laughs) I actually, I know some people who are in the current cohort who are really Ah. loving it. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Oh my gosh. I, it's so fun. It's just so fun to be able to like hold this space and, and just be there in everyone's journey as they're learning about their cycles and, you know, getting so much clarity and deep understanding. And is there anything that you would like to add to this conversation as we kind of bring it to a close? Anything I'd like to add? Um... I would just say, I mean, if you're, if you're curious about fertility awareness to definitely like start looking into it and to just use this conversation as your starting point as well. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many resources out there. Like, you know, feel free to follow me on Instagram, follow other educators on Instagram, see what type of fertility awareness method, like most aligns with you and your lifestyle and, and then go from there. Like it's, it's going to change your life. Like it's literally going to change your life. <laughs> yes. I can agree with that statement. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for being on the pink drip and having this conversation. I just think it is so, so valuable and important because it is empowering people who we just got such a minimal shitty education about menstrual cycles in growing up, if we got one at all. And so getting this information now, however old you are, is like, this is the start of a whole new way of connecting with yourself. Exactly. Yes. Like this is your way of reclaiming that connection with your body that either was taken away from you or was never able to be established. Like this is your way of being able to bring that back and have agency and empowerment, like over your, your choices and everything regarding your fertility and womb health care. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode of the Pink Drip Podcast. You can always reach out to me at the Evelyn Sparks or EvelynSparks.com. Send me an email, shoot me a message, send in a request. I'm always so open to hear your feedback, your questions, anything you'd like to share, or your biggest takeaways from this episode. If you feel drawn to working with me, you can check out my offerings at evelynsparks.com. I'm currently offering one-on-one spaces as well as some courses to help you feel super, super juicy, empowered, turned on in your sexual healing journey. I work as hard as I can to minimize harm and create safer and inclusive spaces for my audience. 
If you ever feel like anything I have said or shared does not align with that or causes some type of harm for you, I am so, so open to feedback for how I can do better. I aim to create the safest spaces that I can, and that involves learning and growing. So thank you so much for listening. I am sending you so much love, and I hope you have a beautiful and turned on 